Our Father, we just heard about two men building two houses. And in the end, it is the future that showed which one was wise. And we pray that you would help us as we study the Bible today to learn how to do wise things now because they will be seen as wise things in the future. So help us to think now in ways that make sense then and teach us to do that from the Bible as we study it tonight. Help us to trust what you say so we may build our lives on what you say. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, Roman, uh, <laughs> Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The reason we're looking at this is because, as you can see, we're looking at an overview of the Bible. So we're going to start by looking at the old bit. Then we will look at the gospel bit. And then finally we will, we will look at the last book of the Bible. Okay? We're traveling some. But we'll start with Isaiah chapter 7. Welcome uh, Rachel and Rebecca and young Joel, who is heading for the toys. The right place. Okay, here we go. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Keep the Bible open. You can read the words off the screen. I want you just to have it open for the next uh, few minutes. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 famous Christmas reading. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Two chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, Keep your Bible open where you've got it, but let me read to you from Matthew chapter 1. Talking about Mary, talking about Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 11 verses 15 to 18. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. You're wondering why you read all that, don't you? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. You have to wait. The children leave first. So I think that uh, Rebecca's uh, heading off and I think uh, others are being watched over. We'll carry on and keep Isaiah 7. We'll get there in a moment. But uh, I've got some pictures to show you first. Because what we're doing on these Sundays is we're in the helicopter, we're over the Bible, and we're seeing the whole view of the Bible as we fly over it. And it's a very, very simple thing to understand the Bible. It's all about one story. It's so simple, you can draw the story of the Bible in one little picture. It looks like this. The story of the Bible is how God gets a special people into a special place under his special king. Oh. Is that you? That is me. Is you really? Yes. You've got the same outfit on. But I'm looking... I'm looking younger. Okay, that's the, picture. that's the picture of the Bible, right? God's special people in God's special place under God's special king. If you can draw that picture, you can explain the Bible because that's how it starts. It starts in the Garden of Eden with God's special people in God's special place under God as their king. It's how the Bible finishes. You look at heaven, it is God's special people in God's special place under God's special king. Now, in between they lose their way they are sent out of the special place but the story of the Bible is how God will get people who lost the special place at the start of the Bible back into the special place that he has made at the end of the Bible and so therefore the Bible is a story of how God does this and before you get to the new part of the Bible to show you what it would be like with Jesus, he makes a model in the old part of the Bible we call the Old Testament. And so, he begins to build a model when he chooses a special people. He chose a man called Abraham and he said, 
Abraham, your family, they are going to be my special people. And then we saw how he took Abraham's family from Egypt where they were living. They were led out of Egypt by a man called Moses into a new country that was the land of Canaan. That became their special place. So God's special people lived in that special place under a very special king called King David who God said would be his special king forever. So in the Old Testament you see how God works over the years to make it happen until finally you get God's people living in the land of Canaan under God's special king. Now you might say as you read the Bible therefore you are reading history things that happened kings that came to power the kind of things you read in a history book and you might say why has the Bible got so much history on it other religions don't have their religious books are mainly instruction on how you should behave but when you open up the Bible you see this happened and then this happened and then this happened it's all action it's things that are true that took place why is the Bible like that why is the Bible so different the answer is the God of the Bible is so different because the God of the Bible is alive and anybody who is alive does things so they leave a trail of history I take you for example you were born as probably a birth certificate that tells you that that happened and there's probably a few embarrassing baby pictures as well and then what happened as you went along you did certain things and well maybe there's a school photograph that tells you that you grew up and you went to school and that school and then you have another picture that maybe shows you the day you got married and there may be another picture of you carrying your first grandchild. So, because you're living, you've got things happening over life and you leave a trail of history, if I can put it like that. That's exactly what God does because He is alive. He leaves a trail of history behind Him. And so, when you open up the Bible, you don't just get a whole list of rules you see how God does things and people see what he did and they write about it so you've got history now the important thing with this is that when God does things you can see that he does the things that he promises and therefore he says things that you can trust because when you get to listen to what God says you can then put sooner or later a date next to what he says and what he says has come true you can trust what he says now it isn't like that with me I might promise faithfully to do something for you next week but expect the email that apologizes that I wasn't able to do it the way I said I would even tomorrow I can make a plan and what happens 
the diary bombs tomorrow and something happens so I can't do what I planned to do in the first place. Why is that? Because I'm not God. I can't control what's going to happen to me tomorrow. But God, God can make a promise of what's going to happen in a thousand years time and that is exactly what will happen. He does what he says and we can trust what he says. And that's why when the Bible tells us about what the story of God is like, it tells us history, but also there's a big part of the Bible called prophecy. And you will know the big names of the Bible like Isaiah, the prophet we read from tonight. Now the great thing about the prophets is that they are talking mainly about God's action, not ours. When you get to Islam, the Prophet Muhammad tells you our action has to be that you go and do this, that and the other. But the Bible prophets tell you what God will be doing. And when they tell you what God will be doing in the future, it is so that you can now live smart in the present. See, if you're a gambler, you would love to know the future, wouldn't you? Why? Because you can bet smart and come out on top. Where the Bible says that the prophets are even better because unlike the gamblers, you can know for sure, no guessing, and you can live smart now because you know what the future will be. It's just like the wise man on the rock. Why was one smart? Why was one stupid? Because the future has a storm in it. And the smart person is the one who does the smart thing now and the future makes him a winner. The foolish person is the one who does a dumb thing now and it all falls flat. The smart person listens to what the prophet tells about the future and says, now I know how to live my life. And the wonderful thing about the Bible prophets is you always get three for the price of one. When a prophet tells you something, it will come through three times. Now, I've only got one way of showing you because we haven't got all evening, but I'm going to take the one thing that Isaiah spoke about, which is how God's people will get a special king. This is why I need you to have the Bible open, because now I'm not going to show you what I showed you on the screen. Now you've got it down in front of you. The first time they talk about this special king is Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And you can see it on page 572. And it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let me tell you that what's going on here is that God's people at the time were just about to face an attack from two kings that were coming at them. And the king of Israel was getting panicky. 
And the prophet Isaiah says, listen, just trust God. Don't panic. A virgin will have a baby and before the baby is two years old, in other words, before in verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey, before he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, verse 16, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So he's saying, look, don't panic. These two kings are coming. In two years' time, you won't hear about them again. And that prophecy proved true in the Old Testament, in Isaiah and his time, because what happened was Isaiah married a virgin, who then became Mrs. Isaiah, and they had a child, and before that child was two, these two kings had gone off the radar. So, what Isaiah said happened at the time of Isaiah himself. Okay? But here is something interesting. You turn over the page to chapter 9, and in verse... No, you don't even need to turn over the page. Chapter 9, verse 15. Sorry. Um, uh, 5 uh, to 7. And you see that again, the context is danger. The context is attack. And again, there's going to be the baby. Now the baby appears again. But this time, the baby is a lot bigger in the expectations that are attached to it. Listen to how the baby is described now. There's going to be safety from warfare. That's verse 5. Because of this baby in verse 6. And he is going to have the government on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This baby is not another baby. This baby is God. And his name is Emmanuel. God is with us in this danger. The baby will mean rescue. So this baby is several sizes too big for the baby that you read about in Isaiah chapter 7. This one's going to be a different baby in what he will deliver. Same baby, but it's ultimately a baby looking to the future when Jesus comes. And this time turn, if you wouldn't mind, to Matthew chapter 1. And that is on page, where well, it has got a page number because it's Matthew chapter 1. Actually, page 808 page 808 and you get Matthew chapter 1 and verses 21 to 23 which tells you um, well, sorry, it is uh, page 807 page 807, Matthew chapter 21 she will bear a son, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, whose name is Isaiah, Isaiah who said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is 
the Isaiah chapter 7 baby, but now born with Isaiah chapter 9 features. So this is the baby who keeps people safe from their enemies. So Jesus, in his lifetime, he saved people from the three main enemies known to man, which are disease, demons, and death. Jesus saves his people from his from their enemies but actually he will save his people from their sins because that tells us the main enemy that God's people have is God himself not God's people but everyone the main enemy that we have is God himself because he's got to punish our sins but Jesus will save us from that enemy from that punishment and he will turn that enemy into a father so much is the safety that he brings but even that doesn't fully do the Isaiah passage justice because the Isaiah passage said that he's going to do it forever and ever except Jesus died so he wasn't doing it forever and ever so the Isaiah passage is really looking even beyond Jesus and is looking to Revelation chapter 11 verse 5 to 18 where again there is a defeat for the enemies as God's people are brought to live in safety. Re Revelation chapter 11 verses 5 to 18. If anyone would harm... Revelation chapter 11 verses 5... To, sorry, 15 to 18. 15 to 18. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and loud voices said, The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign now forever and ever. This is it. No more waiting. And the enemies, well, look at verse 18. They're gone. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and there was judgment and the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. Enemies finally disappear. So our, what Isaiah promised way back a thousand years before Jesus was born happened when Jesus came and ultimately will happen when he comes in all his glory. The Old Testament prophets are looking to three different ways in which God is going to make it happen. Now, I don't know if this helps, but I've drawn them as three hills. You know why? Because we used to live in Kendall in the Lake District. Let me tell you, if you're going up the M6, and I don't know if John's done this in his lorry driving days, but you go up the M6 and you will see when you get to about Carnforth, the hills of the Lake District. And if you were to stop your car and draw the hills, you would draw them in one line like that. But when you drive into the Lake District, what do you find? When you drive into the hills, you see one of them's just passed, another one's just very quickly coming up, and then there's the far one in the future that you haven't got to yet. The hills are like that. They're gone, they're coming, and they're really coming, but you've got to wait a bit longer. Now, the prophets talk like that about Jesus. 
The first thing they say about him happens. The second thing they say about him happens. You can jolly well bet your last bottom dollar the third thing they say about him will happen. So that is what you have with this king and ultimately we haven't got we only did that with the king part but there are other parts of the bible where uh, the other prophets uh, that talk about different things and they're all going into three for the price of one three times what they say will come true and therefore the wise person is the person who can listen to the prophets and say okay if this is where the show is going I had better listen to and follow this king. This is where it's going to end up, where this is what I ought to be thinking about now. Here's my priority. So the Bible tells us history. The Bible tells us prophecy. But the third thing the Bible tells us is what we might call the writings. Or the wise books there are five and one is the book of Job then you've got the book of Psalms and then you've got the book uh, of Proverbs then you've got the book of Ecclesiastes and then you've got the Song of Songs five books that tell you how to live wisely while you are waiting for God's future to come with me? so Job tells us how to live wisely and the wise person trusts God even when their lives are just simply falling apart. That's what happened to Job. And Job, he fell apart and it didn't come together very quickly. That's why there are long, long chapters of Job as this poor guy suffers. But the suffering of Job tells you that suffering comes to people who don't deserve it. Please do not blame yourself if suffering comes to you because that's what Job's friends wanted him to do and he didn't do it. But what the book of Job tells us is that although suffering comes to perfectly innocent people undeserved, Nonetheless, what each of those people will see is that God will show how glorious he is in their suffering. And they can trust him. Now, I didn't know this you. This could be you. You could be in a position where you are suffering. You haven't deserved it. God will show you how glorious he is. Doesn't mean that you've done wrong. The best person in the Old Testament was Job and he suffered. The best person in the New Testament is Jesus and he suffered. But God showed his glory in their suffering. Learn to be wise when you suffer from Job. The second wise book are the Psalms. Now the Psalms are the hymn book of the Old Testament. There are songs written to express how we feel towards God. It's an amazing thing, this God, that he doesn't just simply tell us what he is like, but he also tells us how we can talk to him. He gives us words. 
And people say that whatever mood you're in, there is one psalm at least in the Bible that expresses how you are feeling. So when Jesus was feeling on his own and abandoned on the cross, he chose what he said to God from the psalms. Equally, there are great psalms of joy because God always wins. And you can find words to show that confidence in the psalms. The wise person learns to talk to God using words that he has given us to talk to him. The psalms help us to have wisdom in our conversations with God. The next book, the book of Proverbs. Now they are really words that are written, as it were, from a father to a son. How to live wisely in the different situations and in the different temptations that we feel in life. And the Bible tells us, listen to uh, the words of the Psalms as if you were listening to the Father speaking to you. Words of wisdom. Very interesting. There are 31 Psalms in the Bible. And how many days do you get in the month of August? So what should you do in the month of August? 31 Proverbs. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, how many Proverbs? 31. How many days in August? 31. So how many... What should you be doing in August? Becoming wise. Okay. Learn to be wise from the book of Proverbs in the practical day-to-day -day that we live. What about Ecclesiastes? Now, Ecclesiastes is very interesting. It's written by a king called Solomon who has so much money, he trialed every single pleasure in life. Okay? Anything that was good that he fancied doing, he did. And what does he find? He finds that actually it leaves you feeling empty. A lot of Ecclesiastes is written about life under the heavens, under the sun. In other words, if this world is all you live for, you will find yourself feeling really empty. Even though this particular new pleasure that you just found is going to change your world and turn it wonderfully, uh, brilliantly uh, uh, full, you will find in time it just drains away and you're empty and you know why many people find life is empty because Ecclesiastes will tell you Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has put eternity in your heart that's what you really want and the little graspings that we get for pleasure now they'll never satisfy because they are not what your heart ultimately wants so you're going to be left feeling flat. The wise person doesn't look for pleasures in this life, but lives to live in line with uh, the eternity that God has placed in front of us. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't actually sample all the pleasures in life. He had virtually nothing, but he had a life that was filled with meaning because he 
lived with eternity in his heart. He lived for the future and your life will be with purpose. Song of Songs is a very interesting book uh, because it's all about sex. And it's the only part of the Bible that I have not preached because it is so hot. And to understand the book of Song of Songs, I think it's just worth understanding that again it was Solomon writing. And Solomon had many women and he had many wives. And Song of Songs is like Solomon saying, look, I got that wrong. Let me tell you what real love is like between one man and one woman. And he talks, the sexual um, imagery is used to basically talk about the passion that exists in that relationship. And Solomon says that is the relationship that is uh, the greatest uh, thrilling relationship to be in. Now, when you look at that, what you discover is that actually the Bible talks about Jesus having that sort of passionate love for his people, the church, who are regarded as his bride. And it, the, the, the reason why this part of the Bible helps us to live wisely is because it helps us to live with an awareness that God has a passionate love towards us. My friends, you will not be a wise person unless you understand God has that kind of burning passion for his people. And you, if you are part of his uh, special chosen ones. And so therefore, uh, Song of Songs is there to show us what his devotion is like for us with deep passion uh, in the description of it. So that's what it means to live wisely while we wait in suffering, in talking to God, in listening to his wisdom and wonderfully Jesus showed us. They're all about Jesus, even the Proverbs because Jesus lived with that wisdom in his life. And Proverbs is written, if you follow the way it's, 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 it's structured, it starts with the person, it teaches them wisdom so they can become a great king. That's how Proverbs ends. And Jesus followed through the tracks of wisdom and is described as the greatest king. So, what can we learn from all that is we want to take home something uh, tonight as we leave. Number one thing, how would you work out whether your life is a wise life or not? Maybe you're not used to church, but how do you know whether the way you're living now is wise or whether as time runs out, your life ultimately is written off as meaningless? And ultimately, the Bible will tell us, the wise person is the one who makes decisions now that will be winners in the future, even though they look rubbish and worth nothing now. It's a bit like buying 
uh, an old scruffy chair which everybody says isn't worth a thing. Then you discover later that it was King Alfred's favorite and it's worth a fortune. Okay, Worth investing in things that ultimately will be regarded as valuable, as wise. And so the Bible encouragement is for us to see that we need to stop living the way we are now to live for Jesus and his kingdom, to invest our lives there so that when he comes back, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You could almost say, well done, good and wise servant. Right choice. And that's uh, the way we live. If you're not a new person, if you're a new to church and all that, it's a really helpful thing to work out whether your life is going to be walking down the road of wisdom. Because in the end, God will say, you were wise to choose his son and to follow him. What happens if you're someone who's been to church lots and lots? And my guess is if you've been to church lots and lots, you'll know that generally when the vicar stands and talks or the pastor or whoever it is, usually it's a pep talk. Now, my friends, go out and do this. And they try to be a kind of inspirational life coach. Happens in most churches. Can you see that if that is what we hear when we go to church, it is essentially the same message we will hear when we go to a mosque or to a temple. Because all this world has to offer is live this way. And what the Bible tells us is something very different. The Bible says, come here, come close, listen to what God is doing, what God will do. Fall into step with that. That's how to live smart now and make decisions that will be seen as wise then. Live in his future. Don't just simply go to church and listen to pep talks. Go to church to listen to what God is saying he will do, to hear his promises, and then to fall into step with what God is doing rather than go against it. The third thing to... Oh, that's, 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 that's that. It's not rules. It's the future. The third thing to say is what happens if you are a real believer and my simple encouragement is to live with heaven in your heart. In other words, live life under this king. Practice the future. That's what the Christian life is ultimately about. Okay? It's not that you've got to be good and God will give you the future. It's just that God has promised you this future. Now you start practicing what you will be like now, uh, what you will be like then. That's why Christians hate sin. Because when we sin, we are essentially rejecting the king who 
is ultimately going to rule over us. We are, we are just basically very personally saying, you will not rule me. That's what sin does. And when you understand what our God, God does with his enemies, you will realize that is not wise to personally take on God in that way. We hate sin. We hate to do that. That's why we love people. Because in the end, we want to reflect what our king is like. And so therefore, we have compassion. We have great affection for each other. Why? Because this is the future kingdom. It's going to be like this. So we live it now. And it's why we make decisions to serve the gospel. People give up money, people give up positions of great influence in society to go and take the gospel to faraway places. Why do they do that? It just seems so crazy to do a thing like that. But it will turn out when Jesus comes back that that is the best investment of their life that they could have made. Yeah, what doesn't make sense now will seem to make perfect sense when Jesus comes back. Make decisions like that. Someone said, and this is where I'm going to stop. Someone once said, those who don't hear the music think the dancers mad. Now, Christians dance with the music of the future in their ears. That's how we live now. And people think we're mad because it doesn't make sense to do the things we do now. Why is it that we would go out on a Sunday afternoon and meet people in our area and start making friends with them? Maybe to bring the Lord Jesus into the conversation to commend him to the people that we visit. That doesn't make sense. But those who don't hear the music of the future think the dancers mad. And we need in this coming week to let the music of the future control our lives, our actions, our decisions. And maybe tonight is the great chance for a new start to do that. And in a moment, let's have a moment of quiet and pray. Just one minute, silently talk to God. Ask Him to play the music of the future into your soul so you can start living the future in this new week. And then I'll pray one prayer for all of us. Then after that, if you've got any questions or comments you'd like to make, I'd love to hear them. But first, a moment of quiet. Let's talk to God about what we've heard tonight. Ask for him to make his future real. Well, our minute's up, so let me pray. Our Father in the Bible, James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So Lord, we pray as a church this evening, we pray that you will give us your wisdom.
We pray you will help us to be wise, to trust your promises. Help us to be wise like Job in the days that we suffer. Help us to be wise like the people in the Psalms who speak to you. Words that you want us to use. Help us like the book of Proverbs to live wisely in the day-to-day -day decisions that we make, in the temptations that we avoid. And help us, as in the book of Ecclesiastes, not to look for life and meaning in life here and now, but ultimately to live with heaven in our hearts. And we pray that you would please help us to live with a conviction that you are passionately on our side and for us. Please help us to believe your word and to live in the light of it wisely in this coming week. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, John.